Welcome back to the Dismantling You podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Pineda. This episode's guest is the incredible Barbara Gibson. She is Safe House Director with Women's Resource Center to End Domestic Violence. Barbara is also the founder of Peace Still, which focuses on deepening well-being by cultivating a secure and loving relationship with the inner self. She advocates for survivors of domestic violence. Barbara is also a 200-hour registered yoga teacher and certified meditation guide. Her meditations are intended to remind listeners of their inherent inner goodness, wisdom, and strength. Be sure to check her out on Insight Timer. So before we get started, if you are new to the podcast, be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes release, and don't forget to leave a review. The more reviews and shares that we get, the more people we can reach, and you never know when an episode can impact someone's life. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Barbara. Barbara, I'm delighted to see you again. And I just want to let everyone know that we worked together on a project in the past and we have mutual friends. So I'm delighted to have you on my podcast. And you have such an inspiring story and you overcame so much. I have so many questions for you. So I just want to dive right in. Yeah, so you are a big advocate for survivors of domestic abuse and trauma. How did you get into the position of Safe House Director with the Women's Resource Center to End Domestic Violence? Yeah, so first I just want to say thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm really glad for this opportunity to talk with you and share a little bit about my work. So thank you so much. So I've actually been with the Women's Resource Center since 1989. I started there as a volunteer at that time. And what brought me to the work was that I really wanted to have a sense of hopefulness about impacting survivors of domestic violence. My mother was a survivor. And growing up in a home where there was domestic violence, you do feel a sense of hopelessness. And it was my opportunity to be able to do something as an adult, and uh, I was not able to do anything as a child, so I really was glad. I just happened to be home one day, and I saw that the Women's Resource Center was looking for volunteers. There was a PSA. I responded and did the volunteer training. At that time, it was six weeks, Thursday evenings, in the basement of a church, and uh, I've had several positions there over the years, and it's still work that feels really meaningful and important for me. That's wonderful. So let's just take a step back. What was your childhood like? You know, it's that's such an interesting question. I think the answer I might give would depend on the day. So there are a couple of things I would say. Um, you know, I grew up the oldest of four children. I'm from New Jersey. And I graduated from a really small high school with all girls. So in some ways, I had a lot of privileges. Um, But in other ways, there was this secret that was happening at my house where we were just not safe. And um, 
you know, at that time, people did not talk as much about domestic violence as they do now. So, uh, so in that way, it was, it was quite challenging to know that you never knew what you could expect in the home. Who helped you and guided you? Yeah. So we, we actually did, we were a part of a, a larger community. We went to church very regularly and the people there were really supportive and very kind. And also I had a really good connection to the nuns at the high school that I went to. And, um, you know, my family is, it was a very strong family. So my mother is, is thankfully still living and she's quite strong. And, you know, during the times when my father was not at home, it was, it was quite peaceful, I think, and lovely. So, uh, so we had good relationships, my mother and the other siblings in my family. I have two brothers and one sister. And, um, you know, so that felt really supportive. I think as I grew older, I recognized, though, that because of everything that was going on, I was struggling quite a bit with anxiety and depression. And so when I left high school, I was accepted to Emory University and I went there for a time. And I was really fortunate to be able to work with some therapists. They offer therapy free to students there. And that's really where I began my work to try to manage some of the experiences I was still holding from, from growing up as I did. And at some point I did come to meditation practice, which has really been life-changing for me. And so it's been more than 30 years that I've had a really strong practice and what I learned over time is that it's really important to be able to be with your experience no matter what it is. And I think for a long time, I did not know that. And so when I was managing so much pain and so much anxiety, so much confusion and, and feelings like I didn't know what I could expect from one moment to the next, I was also dealing with this, this story in my mind about you know, I'm having these feelings. I don't like them. I don't want them. Why do they keep coming up? Why do they go away? What can I do about this? And with my practice, I came to realize over time that you know, feelings will come and go and that I can learn to be with whatever is there moment to moment and that nothing is permanent. Everything always shifts and changes. And that has really been so helpful for me. And I think too, you know, recognizing as I did over time, that I do have an inner core of basic goodness, inner resilience, that I can have confidence in my capacity to manage whatever feelings come up. And again, that was, that was really a, a game changer for me because uh, that, that period of anxiety and depression was, was quite painful. So I'm really grateful to have come through that. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you had uh, the proper... Um, mechanisms and mentors in place to help um, guide you to the light. So you serve on the board of directors for the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and you are currently chair of the membership and programming committee and completed the prosecuting attorneys council of Georgia expert witness training. Um, and you also developed and facilitated trainings locally and nationally on domestic violence, resilience, and self-compassion. Wow, I'm just, my mind is so blown, especially 
you know, coming from someone who has um, overcame so much. Uh, So can you tell us what was what was the catalyst for you also to get involved with these programs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think it goes back to my own experience of feeling uncomfortable in my mind and body. And that, that initial idea that I talked about where when I was growing up and I was watching my mother be hurt and all of us feeling unsafe in the home, there's a tremendous sense of powerlessness in that. And then just watching the way that I saw her suffer um, and, and watching the way that we all suffered, I, I imagine myself as someone who, now that I've come through that, can use my own power and my own experience as a way of supporting people to feel better themselves. And you know, one of the things I know is that Suffering is a normal part of every human life. But the way that we relate to it, the way that we manage it, really is life-changing. And so as a person who, and of course I'm not the expert, but I've done some things that have been helpful for me. And so I feel like it's my calling to put myself into places where I can support other people to do things that help them feel a little bit better. And so my work with... Um, GCADV is just my way of supporting their work as an agency and as a person who cares about domestic violence, who really wants people to be safe in their homes, who really wants people to feel like this is a community where they are valued and they can be in relationships that are healthy and affirming. I really want to be able to be wherever I can to support that. And then the other the other work is really just about Again, helping people feel more comfortable in their minds and bodies. And, and part of that is I think of myself as a, as a wellness advocate, as a, as a wellness guide, as a supporter for other people on their path. And so I've done lots of training that can support me in that because it's something, it, you know, well-being is a skill. We can all practice and get better at it. And I try to do that. So my work with the Trauma Resource Institute is a part of that. My training at Shambhala is a part of that. Um, I'm a yoga teacher, so that's a part of that. I've also had some training in meditation. I really want to do everything I can so that I can be of service. And we often talk about all the things that are going wrong, but there are so many things that are going right. And we also have the power to drive more of those things in the right direction if we use our energy and our actions with real intention and we're with real desire to make things better and different. So, so that's kind of what's leading me. And I'm really hoping that I can bring more people along with me. So Barbara, have you noticed an uptick in domestic violence, trauma uh, because of the pandemic? Yeah, I've noticed several things. Uh, one is, yes, there there has been more domestic violence. Um, and there are so many reasons for that. I think one is that we, well, there are so many reasons. You know, culturally, the, the way that we value different kinds of people, I think, is askew. Um, so we can bring in all the isms, sexism, um, gender, um, misogyny, even... Uh, patriarchy, homophobia, 
I mean, all, all the isms, we, we know all about that. Um, but I think it's also true that we don't give ourselves enough time and attention to manage our feelings. So we don't have enough experience about what to do if we feel angry, what to do if we feel frustrated, what to do if we feel embarrassed. And we also, as a culture, I think, support violence as, a, as an appropriate response. And so if we feel angry, uh, there are some situations where we tell each other, well, yes, it's okay to, to be violent with your words. Yes, it's okay to be violent with your actions. I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it, in addition to all of the ways that we don't include people or all the ways we don't value people equally, is that, again, domestic violence is thought of as an appropriate response in some situations. And so if we think of it as an appropriate response in some situations, then people are always going to justify it as, as an appropriate response in their particular situation. And I think the other part of it is we too often blame survivors. It's always somehow the survivor's fault. And that's what's so painful about it because it feels, it feels like that to survivors too. You know, if I had been a better partner in this way or if I'd done more of this or done more of that. And although domestic violence is deeply, deeply personal, it's something that happens to you, it's not related to any personal flaw. It's really a community, a cultural issue that we have to address in that way. Um, so yes, we've, we've definitely seen an uptick because there's, there's so much pressure around um, being, our nervous systems are just dis dysregulated with everything that's happening with the pandemic and we don't have proper outlets. And, and the other thing that we're seeing is that more people are struggling with anxiety. Um, and so we're helping to, we're working to help people manage that as well. So there's definitely a lot going on. How important is it to help or, you know, reach out to these victims? It's, it's vitally important, uh, it's, especially now because access to services, you know, although every agency, law enforcement, social services, um, medical health, mental health, everyone's doing the best they can. But of course, there are also, there's also the need to help people stay safe. And so access to services is there, but it's more challenging than it was before the pandemic. So there's that. And then as people are moving around less, uh, survivors have less ability to be away from batterers, perpetrators often. Uh, and so they are more at risk, they are more in danger. And there are also the, the additional pressures of around income, around housing, um, around travel, you know, just being able to get away. And so it's, it's really important as people who live in the community to keep our ears and eyes open and to make sure that we are a resource for survivors, that we don't use language that's shaming or blaming, that we keep ourselves open and curious, that we help connect people to resources, that we help people brainstorm, that we remind individuals that it's not their fault, and that we, and that we too hold batterers accountable, that we come to the place where we recognize that just because a person is kind sometimes, has a good sense of humor, maybe uh, is, is a good friend sometimes, does not mean that this person cannot also abuse power and control. And we really do have to be able to hold both so that we can help people get connected to the resources that they need to make changes in their behavior. Uh, and also so that people who are being harmed can 
get to a place where they feel safe and they also feel heard and seen and not blamed. I love that you said self-care is a revolutionary act and you're also the founder of Peace Still. Tell us about it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for asking. So, you know, one of the things I was saying before is that wellness is a skill that we can get better at. And often we think that there's going to be some arrival place. So if I sit on my mat for a week or a month or a year, that means that I'm not going to be angry or that means I'm not going to be anxious. And that's, that's absolutely not true. If we think about uh, sports figures, if we think about musicians, we know that they also practice and that they get better over time but there are still gonna be times when you fumble the ball or you miss the shot, right? And the same is true of our well-being. So, you know, our, our capacity for resilience is always there, but different um, conditions and causes can make it difficult to feel connected to that inner resilience. And so what's important for us is to be able to be supportive of ourselves, to be kind to ourselves moment to moment, and to be um, compassionate. And so I started Peace Still as a way of guiding people, supporting people, reminding people of their basic goodness, and reminding people that wellness is a skill that they can get better at. And if they need support to do that, I'm, I'm absolutely open to being their guide and their supporter in on their path to, to greater well-being. You are a beloved meditation and yoga instructor and one of mine on Insight Timer. Tell us about well-being partner. Absolutely. So one of the things I'm doing, actually tonight, I'm doing a live on Insight Timer tonight at 8 p.m. I do them every other Monday. Are you really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah I really enjoy it very much. It's, it's great energy from the Insight Timer community. So I love that so much. And so part of what I do right now is um, meetings either via Zoom or via telephone. I do just private one-on-one -on -one sessions with people where I talk with them about kind of what's happening for them in their lives and how they might relate to the stories that they're telling themselves about what's happening in their lives right now. So that might look like um, we might begin by doing some breath work together. Um, and then it might look like noticing what sensations are present in the body. And then it might look like trying to separate story and sensation, or we might talk about um, some things that are important to you coming up. Just, I really just want to be with people wherever they are and help them, you know, as they're talking about what their experience is, help them hold it in their bodies in a way that um, feels skillful and useful. So, you know, if you have sensations in your body and if stories around those sensations are making you feel anxiety or making you feel like you're not good enough, making you feel like you're not worthy, then we take some time to really slow down and, ex and explore that. And then we bring in some of the skills from the Trauma Resource Institute. So we might practice something like resourcing. We might practice grounding. We might practice some gentle yoga just to, just to feel yourself in your body and 
as you feel yourself in your body, feel the capacity to be with whatever's happening growing or feel the capacity to be with, with whatever's happening in a way that feels kind and supportive so that you can recognize where you are, for lack of a better word, being mean to yourself or being unkind to yourself. You know, recognize that and then kind of slow it down, be with your breath, watch the feelings. And at the same time, find a place of tenderness and find a place where you can let that kind of fade away, the pain of it, the, the unpleasant story of it, and then let something else come in, making space for what else is true. And there's always something else that's true that is positive and helpful and that helps you connect to your resilience. Did meditation come naturally for you? What was your first experiences like? Oh, that's so interesting. So um, I actually think it did. So in the in, when I really started with meditation, it was with Louise Hay. Many, many years ago, I would listen to Louise Hay uh, as I was drifting off to sleep. That's kind of how I started. And uh, you know, maybe some months after that, I was able to get to a place where I could just kind of sit on my own and follow my breath. But I didn't start with that because my mind was just too busy and I felt too anxious. So I did start just by listening to guided meditations. And even today, I find, I haven't listened to Louise Hay in a long time, but I, I find some of the things that I remember for her, her saying is still very helpful. Uh, one of the things is about, you know, being, being lovable and how you must love and accept yourself. And that's one of the affirmations that she said all the time I would listen to her each night as I, I drifted off to sleep Wonderful. Yeah. yeah so what is your meditation practice like these days because you know you're obviously you know caring for so many other people but what fills your cup up mm, a couple of things so I do have a regular formal practice where I sit on my cushion um, for for a minimum of 10 minutes. But I think other than that, it's really important to bring moment-to-moment awareness into your day. And so I try to be mindful as I go about my day. And so that means in addition to sitting on my cushion, that I also, as I'm walking, try to be mindful of what it feels like to have my feet on the floor. You know, as my foot rolls from my heel to the ball of my foot to my toes as I'm walking. Be mindful of that. And you know, each time that I wash my hands, slow down and be mindful of that. Pay attention to what the water feels like and what the soap feels like. And then if I'm doing anything, like right now, sitting in this chair, you know, just feeling my bottom on the chair, feeling my breath in my body, just reminding myself that in this moment, I am safe. And in this moment, you know, what I say and I do matters. And I think that's one of the most important things about being mindful, about practicing meditation, is that when you care for yourself first, when you respond to yourself in real time, then you reduce the likelihood that you will cause harm um, and, and that's really one of my primary goals is to not cause harm 
my goal really, as I was saying earlier, is to be a support, to connect with people, to help people feel more resilient. And so part of that means being mindful about the way that I show up in every interaction. I'm a really big fan of your meditations, especially the short reset ones. First of all, I want to know where you conceived the idea, because it's oftentimes where, you know, for a first time practitioner, they think they have to carve out, you know, perhaps a lengthy amount of time. Tell us where you came up with the idea. And I would love for you to share with our listeners one of those beautiful short resets. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you asked that because, because meditation has been so helpful for me, I wanted to share it with the women that I work with at the Women's Resource Center. And I went to Insight Timer looking for meditations for them. And what I wanted was something that was very short for, for a new person something where they would be willing to sit and it wouldn't feel like it was an undue burden. And I didn't find anything like that. So I decided that I was going to make meditations for the women that I work with. And then over time, I just decided to start putting them on Insight Timer because the women would say, you know, I would do the meditations with them when we would sit down to meet together. And then they would say, well, is there a way that I can listen to this later? And I thought, oh, okay, well, I will just, I will just start recording them. So that's how that happened. Yeah, but I really wanted to be able to make something for people who are kind of new to the practice and who were like me, struggling with anxiety, who could kind of get hold of themselves, get back in their bodies, be reminded that they are loved and they are okay. And I think that's what ha- that what happens for all of us is when you struggle with feelings that you don't like or you don't want, you start to believe that something is wrong with you. And there's nothing wrong with any of us. We do all have inner basic goodness, which is sometimes need some support to relate to ourselves in a way that's kinder and with more love. And I really wanted to communicate that in the meditations that I do. I would love for you to share one of those short resets. Can we do one right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So as we begin... I really want to invite everyone to find any seat that feels comfortable and supportive. It really allows you to connect to yourself in this moment. So maybe noticing your feet on the floor and your bottom in the chair. And notice your breath. There's not anything special you have to do with it. Pay attention to your breath as it moves in and out of your body. Maybe let your shoulders drop. Letting go of any tension in your jaw. And as you settle into your body, I want you to remember that you are enough. That in this very moment, 
There is nothing you have to do. Just be with your breath. And let yourself settle into your body. Breathing in a sense of peace and calm. And breathing out warm. Breathing in a sense of peace and calm. Feeling your enoughness. And breathing out warm. Let's do that one more time. Feeling the peace and calm in your body as you breathe in. And as you breathe out, feeling a sense of warmth. And we'll close by letting yourself hold your whole body in warm, loving attention. Just reminding yourself that you are enough and you are loved. Namaste. Namaste. Wow. So grounding, so calming, mm -hmm. so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So who were your teachers and your mentors? So I did um, my training at Shambhala. Um, so there is a Shambhala, actually not very far from where I live here in Atlanta. And I also read quite a bit. Uh, I've been a subscriber to Tricycle and Lion's War, War for many years. And also I've done some reading of Ruth King and Charles Johnson and uh, audio Darmer, uh, Gail Fronstall. So yeah, just a little bit of everybody. Amazing. Can you talk us through what a typical day is like for you, Barbara? Yeah. So uh, these days, you never can tell from one, from one moment to the next. But uh, lately, I've been spending a lot of time working one-on-one -on -one with survivors. I think I mentioned earlier that with the pandemic, so many people are struggling with anxiety and depression. And we're having a real challenge with finding um, therapists and mental health professionals that are available to help people when they're in immediate crisis. And so we're working on reminding people about body-based practices that can support them, reminding people that they're not alone during this pandemic. So at the Women's Resource Center, one of the things that we're working on are more Zoom groups. So we do one-on-one -on -one meetings, but we also have a meditation group that meets via Zoom on Thursday evenings. We have a sister circle, and sisters are survivors in service to extend resiliency. And that's a group of survivors, people who previously used our safe house services, and uh, they're focused on self-care, service, leadership, and learning. 
and we meet every other Saturday. And then we have a mom's group that meets on Tuesday. So a lot of one-on-one and then um, some meetings, of course, uh, some administrative work, some planning. We're working on a webinar right now that we can use as a way of um, visually supporting survivors to, to practice self-care skills in their own homes on their own time. Um, so some of the things we've talked about, meditation, uh, yoga, we're going to be putting together an 11-episode webinar series that survivors can use. So I'm working on that. And we're also working on something called Sister Stories. And that's an opportunity for survivors to, uh, well, to center survivor stories, you know, with their own voices. So survivors will talk about their experience of domestic violence from a strengths-based perspective. And we often think about, when we think about domestic violence, that, uh, that, you know, the person is broken or downtrodden or somehow different from everybody else. And this, this is our opportunity to really see survivors in a 3D way as people who are just like us, you know, wanting to be happy and free from suffering and also having the same dreams and hopes um, as a reminder that you know, we all belong to each other and we have some responsibility to see survivors as full human beings. And once we get a chance to learn about what their experiences are, uh, hopefully that will motivate us. So. I do a little bit of that each day. I'm also a parent and what's that like for you? My son is in high school and he's not a morning person. So mornings are very challenging to kind of drag him out of bed and get him to the table for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and I do literally mean drag and get him, get him in front of the camera in time for school. So that, um, but but I try to uh, you know, make my to-do list every day so that I don't feel too frazzled. Uh, some days I get to everything on the list, some days I don't, but um, I try to give myself some grace. Good for you. You yeah. deserve it too. What is your vision of well-being like? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um there might, there might be a couple of things I would say. One is, you know, when there is well-being, there is uh, self-compassion and there is awareness. There's a quote, I've been saying it everywhere I go, from Thich Nhat Hanh, from the book, Peace is Every Step, that mm-hmm. when someone sets your house on fire, do you first chase after that person or do you first put the fire out? And I think well-being looks like First, putting the fire out, you know, being mindful about what's happening in the body and in the mind so that you can speak with intention, so that you can act with intention, so that you can think with intention. And when you're paying attention to what's happening with yourself in your mind and in your body, I think that the way you show up for yourself and the way that you show up with others is better, is different. And it looks like well-being. Um, well-being looks like being able to be with whatever is there. And that does not mean that every day will be wonderful and good. But it does mean that when it's not good or it doesn't feel right, that you know how to respond to yourself. And sometimes that might mean bringing in a skill or a tool. Sometimes that might mean taking a pause. You know, on this day, I need a rest. I need a timeout. 
and feeling like you have the authority, the permission to do that for yourself without shame, without guilt. And I know that's a process because we prize busyness and we prize doing, even when we don't feel like we have the capacity to do it. And well-being looks like being in touch with yourself enough to know what you need and figuring out how to get that for yourself. Just knowing that you matter and letting the fact that you matter show up in your behavior. Love it. So all I ask my guests who come on the podcast if they've had a change in mindset or have any of your belief systems changed um, or have been dismantled, would you be able to share any particular thing? Yeah, that? one of the things I'm really working on right now is attachment. and Good one. Yeah, I'm working on that for a couple of reasons. One is because of the pandemic, so much has been removed from us. And so we really are in touch with this whole idea about you know, impermanence and nothing belonging to us and groundlessness. You know, there's there's nothing that we can stand on. We don't know from one moment to the next what will be there. Um, and then the other thing that's really been real for me that's been so much on my mind is a friend of mine had a fire recently wow. and lost everything. Wow. And I, I have been thinking about that every day. I mean, I think about that all the time, you know, pictures of her daughter, and I think about all the things that I have um, that so many stories are attached to, right? We, you know, right. things you get from your friends and your parents. And what would it be like to have all of those things removed? So, and I don't know that I've made a shift around this, but I, but I am actively working on the idea of attachment. Just, you know, how can I be? with things without holding them too tightly, you know, recognizing that at any moment, everything could be gone. Um, and how, and how could I be and, and thinking about, you know, how I think of my identity in terms of the things that I own or the things that I think are true about me, uh, all of that is shifting too. So just trying to be with the groundlessness of it all is, is really what the pandemic is bringing forth for me. Sure. I, I struggle it with that same concept too. I love that. And I think basically it's about learning to loosen the grip. Yeah. Least, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would love to ask you what prayer means to you and it can be anything. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting that you would ask me that because, you know, as I was saying earlier, I grew up and the church, we went to Bethany Baptist Church every week for years and years. And um, of course, now I don't go to church. Uh, I do belong to Shambhala, the meditation center. But um, so my idea of prayer has really changed over time. When I think about prayer now, I really think of prayer, not so much as something that I say, but really more of something that I do. You may let my that my actions show my love for the higher power and for all human beings, you know, let that be what my prayer is. Prayer is more of a thing that you do, I think. So less than something that you say. I loved our conversation today, Barbara. You gave so many golden nuggets 
And I'd love for our viewers uh, and our listeners to just basically find out how they can work with you. Tell us where they can find you online. Sure. So my address for Peace Still is Barbara, B-A-R-B-A-R-A at peacestill.net. And that's P-E-A-C-E-S-T-I-L-L.net. People can reach me there. And I'm also on Instagram at ZBarbaraG. Perfect, Barbara. I'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes, along with your uh, valuable resources. Thank you so much for your willingness to come on to my podcast today. And thank you for all the beautiful and good work that you're doing in this world. I wish you much continued success. Thank you so much, Lisa. I was really glad to be with you and I hope it was helpful for the listeners. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Barbara. She is so strong, soulful, and of course, her voice puts just about anyone in a trance. Thank you so much for listening. You know, it's these mindset shifts that truly make a difference. I'm Lisa Pineda. Until next time, here's to dismantling you. Dismantling you.